Well, um, now that the su summer holidays are pretty much upon us, um, it might well be that you're thinking that, um, oh, there have been those jobs that I've got to do around the house. Maybe you've been thinking, well, um, uh, I'd better do a bit of painting and decorating, or I'd better get out in the garden and, and sort some of that out. And perhaps you're feeling just a little bit depressed at the prospect of having to do that when all you really want to do is sit in the garden and relax. Well, let me encourage you. Uh, we had a burst pipe in our house earlier this year, so right now we're renovating our kitchen, and up here on the screen is gonna come a photo of our kitchen right now. So this is it coming up. So that's our kitchen there. Um, those are live electrical wires you can see dangling down, and that is indeed rubble on the kitchen side there. So uh, I was in there the other day um, ripping stuff up, and I was thinking to myself, you know, any time you're using a pickaxe, inside your house, you know that you're doing proper DIY. I'm wielding a pickaxe in my kitchen. So um, there you go. I've only been speaking two minutes and already you feel better about your life, don't you? Um, so that's just how good a preacher I am. So um, yeah, well this morning um, we're going to be continuing our series called The Culture Crunch. Uh, yeah, people are already uh, witnessing and praying for my wife. Uh, just the ministry team have already moved in. Um, well, if you're... Um, if you're new here, um, perhaps joining us just this morning, you'd join us partway through our series entitled The Culture Crunch, where what we're trying to do is trying to answer the question of what does it look like to live out this culture on an everyday basis with one another? You know, what does it look like to treat one another with generosity and acceptance and honour? What does that look like? What does it mean to live a courageous and authentic life? How does that look on a Monday morning? And so this morning, I'm going to call you to live with a new level of courage and acceptance for one another. Because this morning, we're going to be looking at the whole subject of resolving conflict. It's just possible that this topic may be of relevance to some of you at some point in your life. It's just a hunch. Some of you, though, are going on summer, ho summer holiday this year with your extended family. And so this is going to be relevant to you very, very soon. So you might want to pay attention. Others of us, though, may be feeling, well, I've heard material on this subject before, to which I would gently say to you, well, you must really have some issues because God wants you to listen to it again. So, that, you know, let me just pastorally say that to you. And what better place to start than the words of Jesus himself? So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn there with me, it's Matthew 18. Um, I was intending on speaking on the whole passage here, but I just got sucked into just one verse. And so that's sometimes what happens when you prepare. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses for us because this is deep, deep... Deeply helpful stuff. Uh, verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18 says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You know, the Bible is thoroughly realistic about human relationships. Did you know that every single letter in the New Testament has at least one command for believers to live at peace with one another? Every single letter. That's how important this subject is. And yet, historically, Christians getting along with one another has been one of our weakest points. It's one of the things that we've most struggled to live out. That's one of the areas where I'd say, perhaps more than any other, we've failed to live out of our identity in Christ. Churches split, people fall out with one another, they stop talking to each other. We make a mess of communicating with each other. The Apostle James gets to the heart of the problem. He says this, 
What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. James is saying the problem is us. The problem is you and me. We're the issue. It's us that are in the wrong. Our ungodly means of handling conflict is, lies at the heart of the problem. If we're to ever change, then we need to realize where our issues truly are. Let me try and explain. Um, Jesus is laying out a biblical, godly model for resolving conflict, but so many of us have grown up or adopted ungodly means of resolving conflict. I've identified five different ungodly ways of handling conflict and strife. I'm sure there are more, but just try these five on for size this morning and see how you get on. The first ungodly way of handling conflict, the unbiblical way would be this, is the ostrich approach to handling conflict, okay? This approach to resolving conflicts or disputes says there isn't any conflict, at least not around me. It says don't rock the boat, don't make a scene, and when anything even remotely resembling confrontation comes along, bury your head in the sand. Wait till it goes away again. It pretends that conflict and strife isn't there. It's a kind of don't mention the war attitude. It's like, like in some families, there are some issues where, oh, we don't go there. You know, oh, we don't talk to Aunt Joan about that issue. That's, that's just in a box there, and we ignore it, and we pretend it's not there. The trouble is, though, nothing ever really gets resolved or bottomed out. Of course, the issues and problems themselves don't go away. They're just left to stagnate and fester over time. I wonder, do you recognize that at all, the ostrich approach? Is that how you operate, if you're truly honest? Is that how it was for you growing up in your family? That would be the first area, the ostrich approach. The second one is this, totally different. It's the gunslinger approach to resolving conflict. <laughs> this style of conflict resolution is, says, I'm not going to run from anything. If something, an issue rises, I'm not going to back down. And if an argument flares up, well then, I'm going to make sure there's only one of us left standing at the end of this. Harsh words are spoken, emotion to air, but there's a high body count at the end of the day. The emphasis here is on winning the argument, not winning the person. If you're honest, is that what you're like? Some of us are lovely, polite Christians in public, but behind closed doors, that's when the John Wayne in us comes out. Do you have a hair trigger on your temper, I wonder? That's the second area. The third one is this. Is this ringing any bells for some people? Some of you are busy nudging and pointing at other people, but that's not really the point. The third area is this. The third approach to resolving conflict is the Eskimo approach. I think this is the one, one of the most popular ones within Christian circles. This approach doesn't go for a gunfight. Rather, it says, I'm going to freeze you out. If you upset me, I'm going to turn polar on you. It's much more effective to go cold on people. If they upset you, well, then you withdraw affection and support over a long period of time until hopefully they realize they've upset you and ask, what is, it, what is it that I did? The wish is that they will come to you on their hands and knees saying, oh, I've just realized that's why you've been so cold with me. I've, I, I'm so sorry of what I did. But that, that very rarely happens if we're honest. Eskimos try and make people feel like they're in solitary confinement and make them suffer there. You feel hurt, so you want to punish others for what they've done to you. That's the Eskimo. Fourth one is this, the volcanoes. The volcanic approach is this, is to store up a big list of grievances over a long period of time. 
Outwardly, the volcano looks fine. It looks dormant and at peace. But then, after a long, slow build-up, bang, suddenly, without warning, it erupts. You may have only left your coffee mug in the lounge, but every misdemeanor from the past two years, from how you hog the phone to your mother, leaving the toilet seat up, everything is suddenly splurged out in one big hit. I wonder, is there a bit of a volcano in you? Maybe that was what it was like for you growing up in your family. You know, as children, you learnt to tiptoe around mum or dad because you never knew when they would suddenly erupt. And then lastly, there are the pressure cookers. Perhaps this is the most dangerous of all. Similar to the volcano, hurt and anger builds up over a long period of time. But rather than erupting at other people, the pressure is focused inwardly. They'll internalize what's going on. Rather than confront the roots of the conflict with the other person, these people find it easier to excuse their behavior and blame themselves. Oh, perhaps it was something I did to upset them. Maybe I was insensitive in the way I phrased that. And all that hurt and anger is directed inside. So rather than blow up at others, they implode. And of course, the danger is that sooner or later, the pressure cooker is just going to fold in on itself. So I wonder, which one are you? Uh, why don't you turn to the person next to you and just a moment of honesty and authenticity say, I've got to be honest with you, I'm a gunslinger. Or they might back away at that moment. Or perhaps, uh, I've got to be honest with you, I'm an Eskimo. Or feel free to point the finger and say, I've always thought you were an ostrich. You know, that's, that's always fun. So turn to the person next to you, have a quick conversation about it. What are you? Okay, you there? Some married couples are having quite a long conversation about this. I'll tell you what, are, we, are you up for a little bit of corporate authenticity? Are you up for that this morning? Should we see what we've got in the room? Yeah, mixed response. I'm going to go for it anyway. It's summer. I don't care. Okay, so let's be honest. So out there, how many ostriches? Just stick a hand in the air. Gut reaction. Okay, ostriches. Okay, there's, there's like a flock. Okay, all right. Um, gunslingers. Okay, all right, some people are leaning away from you as you did that. Okay, Eskimos, how many Eskimos? Okay, as I suspected, quite a lot of nice Christian Eskimos out there. Volcanoes, okay, a lot of volcanic activity over this side, not so much over that side. Pressure cookers, okay, a good number of us. All right, I mean, obviously that is not a deeply scientific test. And the reality is that we will resort to any one of those tactics at different times. It all depends on the environment and the context we're in. Say, for instance, it might be at home, you give full vent to the gunslinger in you because you can get away with it. Nobody sees. But whereas when you're at work, it's a different story. Maybe then you're fearful of authority, so the Eskimo in you comes out, and you just adopt a different strategy. But, you know, whatever the method of choice, all five of these lead to the same inevitable conclusion breakdown of relationship. They result in pain, hurt, isolation, health-related issues, divorce, and family breakdown. Churches get hamstrung, businesses collapse, lawyers get richer, 
and children get more damaged. All because we fail to deal with conflict in a biblical way. You know, um, Emma's grandfather was in a Japanese prisoner of war camp during World War II. He and his comrades witnessed unspeakable atrocities and indignities to those fellow prisoners, all at the hands of the Japanese army. And when he was eventually repatriated at the end of World War II, he came back not just with sort of medals and his experiences, but also a deep hatred of the Japanese people. For the next 65 years, he fostered that hatred. He hated their post-war economic success. He hated their electronic goods that they would flood the UK market with. He hated the Japanese cars that they would export here. And as someone once said, you hold on to a grudge until the point that that grudge holds on to you. And that's what happened. Bitterness gripped his heart, and it spilled over into his wife and children's lives. Small difficulties he had in his marriage became big issues as he didn't know how to resolve them. Until finally, he and his wife decided to live completely separate lives, but under the same roof. She would live her days in the kitchen, and he would have the front room. His children coped as best they could, but to be honest, were severely wounded by the experience of his fathering. You know, he spent two years in a physical jail and 65 years in a prison of his own making. Now, given the same set of circumstances, I don't know that I would respond any differently, witnessing such terrible cruelty. But the point is this, we all pay for the way that we handle conflict. The question remaining is, what price are you paying for the way that you handle conflict? Or perhaps more to the point, what price are those that you love around you paying for the way you handle conflict? Because make no mistake, there is a price to be paid. That's why Jesus' words are so vital to us here. Like I said, I intended to speak on the whole passage, but I just got gripped with this first verse because there's so much in this one verse alone. Jesus gives us some solutions to these problems. He says in verse 2, he says this. There's this one verse. He says that there's the going and gaining in conflict. I think Jesus had a heart for preachers, so he made sure that both of them started with the letter G. It's just there's the going and gaining when it comes to conflict. He says this. If your brother listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's the first thing that Jesus says to us out of this passage. It's so so simple but so profound at the same time. Gunslingers and volcanoes, this bit is for you. Because I'm calling you to live out our culture of acceptance of others. The gunslinger or volcano in you would just want to splurge on people, to have it out with them. But Jesus says the aim of conflict resolution is that we might win the person, not the argument, that we might gain our brother back. The image here is of someone following the wrong path and then snatching them just before they go off the edge of the cliff. It's that idea of, they're headed the wrong way, let me help you and bring you back to a safe place. You're blind to what's happening, let me assist you. Have you ever seen a a mother scolding a a toddler who's just about to walk into a busy road? They'll drag them back and then speak to them in sometimes quite harsh terms. Because the idea is, I want to help you avoid this obstacle or danger. You see, the aim of conflict resolution is to restore connection with other people. Relationships aren't merely static. You're either moving towards someone or you're moving away from them. 
Worth thinking about the key relationships in your life. Are you moving towards that person or are you slowly drifting apart? And Jesus is saying the aim of challenging someone and addressing the issues is that you might reconnect with that person. This thing's happened. It's causing a disconnection between you and I, but I want to reconnect. That's why I want to talk to you about this. The aim of speaking to someone is not that you would feel better. The aim of confrontation is not to get something off your chest or to have your say or give them a piece of my mind. That's not the point. The point is that they would be blessed. I remember one time, um, a number of years ago, I was in my office talking to a guy called Mike Milner, who's a... A, a brilliant guy who worked uh, on the project, ran the project for a number of years uh, before being called to the States and now works for a church out there. And we were having a conversation, he and I, uh, in the office. And uh, it was, if I remember right, it was quite a, an important subject. And uh, he was sort of just sharing his heart a little bit. And then the, the phone in my office rang. So I, I just picked it up and um, I, I spoke for a little bit to the person on the end of the line. And uh, it was something, I think, to do around stewarding. We had an issue. And who was going to put out the chairs that Sunday and all that sort of thing. And I had the conversation then put the phone down. And then Mike just very gently and ever so lovingly just said to me, Paul, do you realize that every time the phone rings, you will prioritize whoever's on the end of the line rather than the person that sat in front of you? I was sharing quite important stuff with you, quite deep stuff from my heart. Maybe you could have just said to that person, can I call you back later? And he did it with such gentleness and uh, such wisdom and kindness that the arrow went right to my heart, as it were. Faithful of the wounds of a friend. I had had no idea. And it was obviously a pattern of behavior. I was completely blinkered to that. The, the urgency, oh, there's this, there's this practical need, must sort that out. Ignore the person sat right in front of me. That's the kind of confrontation that changes people. And of course, one of the implications of that, and Mike so wonderfully demonstrated it, is that when you, as a gunslinger or a volcano, challenge someone, that you have actually forgiven them in the first place. I would say, this is me, not necessarily straight from Scripture, but I would say you're not qualified to challenge the person until you've forgiven them first. The reason being that if you fail to do that, your unforgiveness is going to spill out in the way that you speak to them. So maybe what you need is to get some space before you speak to the person. I remember reading about a guy called Viktor Frankl. Um, and some of you may know his story. He was um, a doctor and um, a neurologist. And uh, he was um, captured by the Nazis uh, in World War II and sent to Auschwitz. And um, he was uh, subjected to all kinds of uh, deprivations and even torture. And uh, at times he would be locked in a cell, um, just stripped of all his clothes, and uh, the guards would just bring him food and water when they felt like it, turn the lights off and on when they felt like it. And uh, he came to this realization, he came to the realization that um, the guards could take away everything from him, or nearly everything. And what he realized was this, was that things would happen to him so like the guards would take away his food or turn a fire hose on him or take all his clothes. There would be a stimulus. Something would happen to him. And then he would react to that. He would get angry or shout at them or swear at them or whatever it might be. But then he realized that actually the guards had the ability to take every single thing away from him, his liberty, his clothes, his food, his water, everything, except this one thing, his ability to choose how he responded to his captors. 
And so he changed the way that he operated. There was the same stimulus coming, but instead of reacting, he made a choice in the middle of that and then would respond in accordance with his values and principles. He refused to allow the guards and his circumstances to define who he was. And in doing so, he had massive influence in the prison and amongst other prisoners around him. Gunslingers and volcanoes, I would say to you this, make sure that you get a gap, even if it's only a 10-second gap between what happens and the way that you respond. Make sure that you're responding to situations, not reacting to them. And of course, our forgiveness comes from the forgiveness that we've already received. That's what happens in that gap for me. I remember Jesus has forgiven me of everything. How can I then tear this person off a strip? Jesus said this in Matthew 6, if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And then having forgiven them, we then speak to them on the basis of that forgiveness. Otherwise, what's going to happen is that it will just come out. Unforgiveness will spill out in your speech. I wonder if you've ever been challenged by someone and you realize they haven't forgiven me in the first place. It's horrible, isn't it? Because you just get all their unprocessed unforgiveness flowing over you. When you go to challenge somebody next, gunslingers or volcanoes, ask yourself this question. Am I seeking to win them back? Is this for their benefit or for mine? Jesus says, gain your brother. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this, and this is for ostriches and pressure cookers and Eskimos all around. It's this. I'm going to call you to live out a life of courage. Jesus says to his followers, go to that person. Go to that person. It's very simple. Go to that person. If there's a problem, go to that person. Except we find so many other things to do except go to the person, don't we? Here's a few. See if these fit. The first one is this. We minimize it. We say, well, it's not really that big a deal. They're under a lot of pressure right now, and so I won't, I won't go to them. Pretending that it's not a big issue enables me to think it's okay to let it go. Now, obviously, most things we just bear with one another. But if it's a repeated pattern of behavior, it's a big thing, then there's a responsibility on us to go to them, not just pretend it's not an issue. The kindest thing is to go and speak to them. The second thing we'll do is we'll rationalize it. We'll say, uh, that's just the way they are. You know, I've just got to accept that. They're just a bit quirky that way. That's okay. The third thing is this. We'll excuse ourselves and tell ourselves, I just don't have the time or the energy to sort that out. I really hope one of the leaders gets hold of them and sorts it. Yeah? That's the kind of thing we tell ourselves. The third, sorry, the, the next thing is this. Um, rather than go to the person, we go to someone else. Anybody done this? Uh, and you go to them, you say, look, I'm really struggling with Bill or whoever. Uh, I, or I, what I've done in the past, if I'm honest, is I go to somebody, I say, look, can you help me out? I just really need some advice with this situation. What I really mean is I'd like to have a good moan about them and for you to back me up and make me feel better and that I'm justified. The next one is this. We take responsibility for how they might react so we don't go. Uh, If I say that to them, that will really hurt them, so better to let the issue slide. We think the kindest thing is not to upset them, and so we just leave it be. But what we're doing then is we're taking responsibility for what they might say or how they might react. Listen, the only person, according to the Bible, you are meant to control is yourself. You just control yourself. So long as you are acting out of love and kindness, then it's up to them how they respond. Otherwise, you're being over-responsible. And you're not giving them the opportunity to see where they're wrong and apologize. Or sixth, the most common response of all is this. 
somebody upsets us or offends us, and we just withdraw from them a little bit more. We just take a step back from them. It happens again, we take another step back. They carry on blindly, ignorant to the issues they're causing. And gradually, our hearts turn a little bit more cold towards that individual. Perhaps we won't initiate communication in the same way. We won't contact them as much as we used to. And our conversations with them start to become more about facts rather than about feelings. We filter our words. We don't give them so much encouragement. And we distance ourselves however we can. We may still see them every day at work. We may see them in the same office. We may even share the same bed. But the direction of travel is distance, not connection. How many people have given up on businesses, colleagues, friends, missions, partners, marriages, and churches because every time they got hurt, they just took another step back? We have disposable cups, we have disposable plates, and we have disposable relationships. From my years working in a church, I would say this is the most common reason why people give up on church. They get offended by someone or a decision that's been made, and they just take another pace back. And rather than engage with the person and talk about it, they choose to just gradually drift away. It's easier to do that than to grasp the nettle. I had a lady come and see me um, a while ago. Um, I didn't know why she wanted to meet, but when she started to talk, I realized this was obviously quite important to her. And she said, uh, Paul, I just want to know if I've upset you in any way. I was a bit surprised by the question. I said, uh, no, not at all. And then I thought, and I said to her, well, what makes you ask? And she said, oh, well, that's a relief because a couple of weeks ago at church, um, you were walking down the corridor and uh, you walked past me and I said hello and you just blanked me. Um, and I, I had no recollection of the incident at all. Obviously, hundreds of people in the building, very busy. So I was able to say, look, I, don't even, I wasn't even aware. I'm so sorry. I was probably just rushing to do something in my own little world or more likely searching for my children somewhere in the building. You know, I said, just said look, I'm sorry. Um, and we were able to sort it out. And that took, what, maybe three minutes. She'd made an appointment in order to see me to resolve it. I tell you, I was so glad that lady had the courage to come and speak to me. Let me tell you how it could have gone. You know, she could have chosen not to speak to me and instead chalk it up as an example of how people in this church don't really care for one another. They won't even acknowledge you as you walk past. And then maybe the same thing happens again except with a different person, maybe a different leader. And she starts at that point to look out for patterns. And then from there, she starts to see examples all around, maybe in the foyer of where people aren't being spoken to and they're just left on the fringes. And she starts to wonder, how caring is this church really? And then by chance, by coincidence, and you know not all coincidences are good coincidences, by chance she ends up chatting to someone else who's had the same experience. How can we talk about having a culture of acceptance when people won't even acknowledge each other in the corridor? And from that point on, she's subconsciously looking for other examples of how we don't care in this church. And before you know it, our enemy has managed to turn a minor thing into a major thing. And you know how it goes. Two people becomes four people, becomes six people, becomes a Facebook page. And suddenly, the church is divided. Listen, I hate to say it, but it's only a question of time before you get offended. Before, you know, somebody uh, forgets to invite you to something, uh, fails to reply to your email, guilty as charged, uh, or says something insensitive to you. It's only a question of time before you get offended. I give it about 20 minutes. <laughs> the question is, when that happens, what are you going to do? 
Are you going to move towards that person or are you going to move away from them? Will you seek connection or disconnection? That doesn't mean say we're unwise about this. Obviously, if somebody persistently hurts us, we need to have boundaries and all the rest of it. But so often, we don't even give people the opportunity to apologize. We just chalk it up as a black mark against them. If you've been sinned, go to that person and speak to them. If I have sinned against you, come to me. Just form an orderly queue at the end of the meeting. I don't mind. We're British, we can queue. Otherwise, how will we ever know? We'll just go on blindly hurting one another and our enemy will have a field day. Of course, when you go to somebody, the risk is it may not go well. You might get brushed off. It it might be a bit tricky. That's why Jesus says you then at that point bring somebody else in to help you. But if you live a lifestyle of going to people and talking about it when you've got an issue, guess what? You'll end up building a life of deep friendships because you know how to work through problems and difficulties. And you'll have a quality of life that many others around you will envy. You know, my children squabble and fight. They have problems like all kids and they fall out and then they make up again. Someone apologizes, someone then forgives. Not always enthusiastically, but with encouragement from mum and dad, they'll forgive. And things are resolved. Yes, they squabble and fight, but just you try picking on one of them in the playground. You better be ready to take them all on. And in just the same way, we need to work out our differences. Unity comes through tough conversations, not through a vision statement on a screen. Let me ask you as we close this morning, who do you need to speak to? Which tough conversations have you been putting off? Who has God been nudging you to go and speak to and make things right with? Is there someone you need to apologize to? And when somebody comes to you to confront you, try and make it as easy as possible for them, yeah? Be an easy person to confront. And as we close, I just want to just be very practical and just give you some practical steps as what to do before you go to speak to someone. To do your preparation first, yeah? The first one is this. Like we said, uh, don't react, respond to situations. Don't speak up in the instant. Give yourself a moment to process what's going on. Ask yourself this question, have I forgiven them? Otherwise, they'll just hear your anger. Ask yourself, do I genuinely want to restore connection with them, or am I just wanting to get something off my chest? Ask yourself, am I seeking their benefit or mine? And then number five says, show them their fault. That's what Jesus says. Don't be wishy-washy about it. So many times I've gone to challenge somebody, but I've been so vague and wishy-washy, they've just gone away feeling really encouraged because I never actually said what needed to be said. Now what I do is I will write down the one sentence that has to be said. And I will sometimes say to somebody else, ask me after this meeting, did I say this sentence? Because if I haven't said this sentence, I haven't been faithful to this person. Now obviously I'll package it around lots of love and acceptance, but we have to be able to say the tough things. And then finally, go to them. I implore you, go to them. Do you know it's said that there are more Christians outside of church than there are in church? The reason is this, because we fail to resolve our conflicts and difficulties. I can't promise you a conflict-free zone here at the King's Arms, but I do want us to create a culture of generosity, of courage, of acceptance, of one another, where we thoroughly deal with these issues together. Okay, why don't we pray together? Do you want to stand with me? Is that for a long time? I'm going to.
pray for us. Maybe somebody from the band wants to come back. You know, as, um, as I was preparing this week, uh, somebody who didn't know what I was going to be saying came and said to me, um, I want to prophesy of you, you that, um, that, that spring is coming to the king's arms. That places that were frosty are now beginning to defrost. And uh, God is going to melt cold hearts. And uh, I just encourage you to have a heart that's open to him and malleable this morning. And that maybe if there are people where you realize, if you're honest, my heart turned cold to them. You do some business with God. So why don't we just pray together? Let's just close your eyes and focus in on him for a moment. Father, we pray that, um, that we would resolve conflict thoroughly and deeply in this church. That we would um, love one another deeply and that we would say what needs to be said. Pray, Father, that we would be excellent listeners, but also that we, you would fill us with courage to challenge where challenge needs to be brought. Father, keep us from letting others blindly go on in their sin without realizing what they're doing. Just as God rests on you right now, I felt as I was preparing that for some of us here this morning, um, it's not just that we've sinned, but we've been sinned against. And we've grown up in households where conflict really wasn't dealt with well. And it was damaging. And uh, I felt like particularly you've grown up around a volcano where you just had to tiptoe around and there was inconsistency. You didn't know what mum or dad might do or how they might react. And so you lived your life just in fear of their, them blowing up and erupting. And if that's you here this morning, just whilst people have got their eyes closed, do you want to just raise a hand in the air? Because I believe God's got freedom and, and healing for you. If that's you, do you want to just raise a hand in the air? That's great. Thank you. I feel like um, God wants to say to you that he's not, an, he's not a changing God. He doesn't, he's not like the shifting shadows, that he is a consistent, loving Father. And that he's calling you to come to him and that you, he will always be the same. He'll be unchanging in his love for you. Pray, Father, do a deep work in people's hearts right now. And the other thing I just felt to pray for is those of us, again, whilst eyes are closed, those of us who know there's a conversation, a tough conversation that needs to be had, and I've been putting it off. And actually, the most loving thing will be to go and speak to this person. If that's you, if you're honest, you know there's somebody, I just need to go and speak to them as a way of sort of admitting it to yourself and before God. Do you want to just raise a hand in the air this morning and say, that's you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you. It's great. Father, I pray for these people that raise their hands. I pray, Father, for, that, for them to have love and courage deep in their hearts as they go to speak to that person. God, that you would bless that conversation, that you would be all over that conversation, that they might restore connection. I pray for each one of us, Lord God, that we would keep working towards people, not just taking another pace back. I pray let this be a, a, a church of tough conversations, but deep, deep love for one another. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.